0: Hello friends, this is episode 100. Yes, you heard that right, 100 of the Our Weekly Highlights podcast. It is amazing that we got here and I'm feeling very happy to share that with all of you around the world. And of course, this episode 100, I'm not gonna mince words here, would not have been possible without my supremely awesome co-host and joining me many episodes along the way, Mike Thomas. Mike, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing great. We had last week off
1: because of the Our Pharma conference. So it's it's nice to uh have had a little bye week, get some rest and, and come back strong for episode one hundred today. I don't know if we I've really tallied how many of the one hundred I've I've been around for, but it's it's been fun. So I appreciate you uh having me on for however many episodes it's been.
0: Yes, well it's been a true pleasure. And yeah, it turns out when regarding last week, when you're involved in a very uh uh, time-consuming conference, albeit in a good way. Yeah, it was hard to squeeze <laughs> another episode, but we're here now, so hopefully we can be more regular from this point forward. But again, yeah, I'm really happy that we made this milestone, and we're going to have fun along the way, like we always do, because we got a really jam-packed issue to talk about. And in fact, there are four, count them, four highlights for episode 100, so that tells you how super-sized size it is. And then towards the end of the show, I'm going to have a Pretty big announcement about how all of you can even support the show in a really fun way. But let's get to the meat of it, shall we? And our curator this week is Rio Nakagorora, then another longtime contributor to the R Weekly project. And of course, he had tremendous help as always from our fellow Our Weekly team members and contributors like you all around the world. So, well, I couldn't have scripted frankly, a more fitting first highlight in this episode is we're gonna dive into a really powerful new theme that I think brings community right to the forefront of a lot of the avenues of technology that we're working with today. So many of these popular online services in say social media, the DevOps sector, and other parts of tech are brought to us by a single entity or a single company. And certainly that can work really well and be very convenient for us. But it's not always a bright outlook, especially when a huge change in ownership or future direction takes place for a certain company. Now, I won't be around the bush any longer. If you've been keeping up on the latest tech news recently, you've heard that Elon Musk has acquired Twitter after a rather long saga, which had its own twists and turns that we definitely don't have time to get into today but the effects of this event have been pretty widespread, and for a myriad of reasons, many in the R community and other communities have been on the lookout for kind of a new social media messaging platform. Well, to put our Wayback Machine in motion here, in early 2016, a recent college graduate named Eugene Rockcho took advantage of a period between graduation and starting an actual job, to put into fruition his own take on what he felt Twitter should be, a decentralized, completely open-source microblogging platform called Mastodon, which is not governed by a single company. It is a federation, if you will, across multiple members of a worldwide community. We'll get to what all that means in a little bit, but there are a few key differences to be aware of when you're going from the Twitter mindset to how Mastodon works. And honestly, a terrific summary of this has been written by um, our weekly contributor, Danielle Navarro, and we'll put a link to her great blog post in the episode show notes today. And you know what else Mastodon has? An API, of course. And in almost the blink of an eye, if you will, David Schoch, the team lead for transparent social analytics in Jesus in Germany has authored an R package appropriately named rtoot for all of us to interact with on Mastodon directly in R. And I got to think the inspiration for that name probably came from another highly acclaimed package that dealt with a Twitter API called RTweet. And so what is rtoot all about? Well, Kind of the major things that you might expect out of a client that deals with this kind of platform r2 lets you easily grab the various toots which is analogous to tweets on the other platform that you have made perhaps toots associated with a hashtag such as rstats grabbing you know metadata around users and getting trends that are seen in the various servers out there and i Again, I'm really impressed by this because apparently the i from the idea of this package to its release on CRAN was about a week. Like that's crazy to me to get something like this done in one week. That just shows you that with motivation and the tooling we have for package development, you can get an idea to to the masses if you will very quickly. There's so, there still sounds like some improvements that are to be had, but The reason this is so important now is that much like how we're seeing this convergence of the R community to the various Mastodon servers out there, I think the community contributing to a package like this is gonna go a long way to how we can leverage Mastodon and its services in a very powerful data-driven way to pave the way for future research or future other developments. And I'm really excited to see what the future entails. The package is really cleanly written, really concise code. The GitHub repo's out there if you want to contribute with the issues that have already been identified. And honestly, we'll, us on the R Weekly side, will be taking a hard look at this package because alongside this post, I'm happy to announce that R Weekly is now officially on Mastodon. We now have an account called at rweekly at fostodon.org. We'll have a link to that in the show notes, but we will be posting on that account each new issue release and other fun tidbits or news related to the R Weekly project. So it's a really exciting time for us and r Toot is gonna be a very important component of our revised backend to take advantage of these services to the fullest. So yeah, Mike, uh, when are you gonna get tooting out with r Toot?
1: <laughs> and when you have an eight month old, uh, you, you just can't take the word toots. Seriously, but I'm going to try to do my best. Here. Yeah, it'll be tough, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I saw some, you know, I really appreciated the, this blog post and, and the speed to which this package has hit CRAN and allowed us to to get up and running with the Mastodon API is, is incredible. Um, one of the ones that piqued my interest from the blog post is a function called gettimelinehome, which allows you to download the most recent toots from your own timeline, which I feel like could be, easily spun into a Shiny app or something like that, that you could have, uh, I don't know, running on a Raspberry Pi on a little monitor on your desk that just sort of shows you the the latest the latest statuses of those that you're connected with on Mastodon. Um, I haven't used a ton of the Rtweet functionality, uh, but it seems like Rtweet has some really interesting functions, You know, which means that Mastodon has a lot of interesting APIs um, for doing things that, Go well beyond just posting a status, like you talked about, getting metadata, um, checking out who your connections are, who others' connections are. There's some really great getting started with Mastodon blogs that I've seen come out in the last few days. Really, for for learning how to sign up, log in, uh, post statuses, connect with others on the platform, and more. Um, but I think maybe from a, a bigger picture, color commentary perspective, you know, for us. Having a place where the data science community can come together is really, really important. I know it's been important to me and you career-wise and everything that I've seen, you know, in terms of blog posts in the community, people are are really saying the same thing that, interestingly, Twitter has really shaped some of our careers, you know, and that's really not an understatement um, in the data science community. Twitter used to be this place, um, but I think it's, it's going to be interesting how, you know, the whole server landscape shapes out for the DS community in particular. I know that there's a few folks out there who are looking at spinning up, I guess their own Mastodon servers. So uh, it'll be interesting to, I guess, see how all the chips fall there and I am yet to sign up, but I think it's going to happen today, Eric. I think it's, I think I'm too late.
0: Oh, I don't think there's such a thing as too late. You'd be surprised <laughs> Um a fun fact when I formally introduced the or set the first toot from the R weekly account the reception was very positive like i couldn't believe it it was i feel like the time there's a real big inflection point right now and again you hate to see it coming from an event like what's happening as we're hearing about twitter having a pretty massive set of layoffs or so our, our obviously our our thoughts are with anybody that's been affected by that adversely um I just want to always look at positives out of this as well. And the fact that now the data science communities, you know, our communities, you know, the intersection of this can feel like coming to a, a platform that's not going to be uprooted by a single person, a single process, is a good thing here. And that's where Mastodon is one of the more quote unquote famous examples of something called the Fediverse. It's not just Mastodon, folks. There are many tools that are taking advantage of this technology that's underpinning ways of decentralizing a lot of what we used to think was somewhat closed wall gardens, if you will. Anything like PeerTube, like other communication platforms. It's a really exciting time. And even podcasting is getting into this too. So I'll have more to say about that later. So again, really exciting time and i'm just getting started with it as well so i haven't figured everything out yet but i'm really excited to see what the journey has and i think the positive effects that you just said mike that we've had you know with the twitter communities on on with r and data science i think we're going to see those benefits and probably even more so in this new era of our social media communication and with mastodon so I'm excited. I do have friends that have, you know, said sometimes a bit of a difficult transition trying to figure out how to keep up with the latest. So there is going to be an adjustment. It's not a one-to-one replacement. But I think with due time, we're seeing, like you said, some great resources being written by members of our communities, as well as pointers to resources that are excellent for getting started. So again, we'll have Danielle's blog post in the show notes along with others that we think would be really helpful in this journey. And so, like I said, a very exciting time indeed.
1: Absolutely, and I do have more faith in the decentralization model for this particular brand of social media than I, than I have for maybe currency at the moment.
0: Well said, well said, yes. We could have a whole nother rant about that. We're gonna, we're gonna transition here to um, our next highlight where we always love our callbacks on our weekly, right? And especially the episodes we've had previously. And so it's quite appropriate that in episode 100, we have a callback to a very recent episode where we saw our friends at the Tidy X crew um, give their take on how to tidy up a somewhat messy data format and illustrate their approaches to handle that. Well, if you didn't think that was messy enough, <laughs> our second Holly brings another tool available for your importing and cleaning arsenal, especially with messy spreadsheet data. So this was inspired by a recent R Ladies Chile meetup that shared a somewhat, you might say spooky, Excel data import. Uh, postdoctoral researcher, Luis D. Verde Arrigocia, um, he shared a novel use case of his very own R package called Unheader, that's a cool name, isn't it? to tame the wild issue of extremely bizarre column headers in your data. So what are we talking about here? So you could tell this is definitely inspired by some real world situations where the examples have headers that have a mix of like units of measurement, the variable name, and then just blank cells somewhere to just delineate spaces between headings and columns. And This would be extremely difficult to manage without the help of a few packages, or in this case, his own package on header to tame this in a really concise way with basically one or two function calls to translate that header into something that you can do something with, so to speak. Where instead of having like three or four levels, if you will, now you have a header that's clean with like the variable name, and then the measurement separated by underscore, but then you get back to your comfortable tidy syntax that you can deal with. But again, for any of you in the trenches that are dealing with this data from like raw instruments or collaborators that think Excel and having the fanciest layouts in the world is such a good thing, it's not such a good thing for us data scientists, is it? So unheader, I think is a really great package to put in your toolbox to deal with these situations so I will definitely have a look at this if I'm in the rather unfortunate position of dealing with this raw data anytime soon but uh Mike what did you think about unheader and some of the great utilities that it offers
1: I love this package and this was my first this blog post was my first introduction to the unheader package so I'm very grateful for the the package and that it hit our weekly this week um if you're a fan of those like satisfying class of videos, uh, like someone power washing away dirt to get to the shine underneath, then you are going to absolutely love this blog post in this package. And Luis has these beautiful visuals in there. They remind me of something that like Allison Horsewood put together, um, showing sort of the, the messy data at the start with some annotation on the side and, and some graphics with a little dog that's pointing out the issues in the data and really, really well-described problem statement and and then what he wants to get to through these visuals. And not only is the unheader package just a great name, um, but also some of these functions within the package, mash headers, I just love those function names oh, yeah. as well. And it's it's pretty incredible how little syntax it takes in this package to do Quite a bit. If you're someone who has ever had to wrangle these multi-column headers, maybe uh, you know, the the cells in Excel were were merged and centered, and you have you know data sort of all all over the place before you actually hit you have column header data all over the place before you actually hit the observations in your data set. And uh, the the functions that he has written in this package to sort of concatenate these column headers from different rows together to identify where the white space and the null values are um, to make these clean headers at the end of the day are just it's just really beautiful syntax and code and and i think it's incredibly useful it probably most of the time is going to be a great complement to like the read excel package or open xlsx packages if you are ingesting excel data that has crazy headers this way because we're always trying to Trying to automate these workflows when we can. And part of that automation is restructuring uh, our, our column headers and not always just tidying up the actual observations in the data, unfortunately. So I think this is another tidy-ish tool in your, t- in your toolbox to have. And very grateful for Luis to have not only put the package together, but the, the blog post as well.
0: Yeah, this would have been really handy many years ago when I thought I was gonna get some really clean data from a lab vendor giving us some custom biomarker data. But no, their idea of tidy was way different than mine with some of the most cryptic headers known to humankind. And I had to figure out how do I make sense of it for one and then figure out how to get it all tidied up. So yeah, this is a if you're in this situation on header from Luis is gonna be a great, a great asset to your toolbox, as you said. So, yep, tidying doesn't always have to be a chore. These packages make it a heck of a lot easier and definitely highly recommended to check that out. It's a great transition. You bet, because sometimes it is pretty easy to take for granted that we, we're able to put packages like Unheader or others on our particular setups for running R. Maybe you can, like I said, install new packages like that. Maybe you can swap out a compiler to get the most speed out of your computations and much more. But you may also find yourself in a situation where you are dealing with a bit of constraints in your environment. Maybe it's from an IT group or whatnot never never oh never oh yeah yeah you should have heard the pre-show some of the constraints poor mike's been dealing with oh that's <laughs> that's a bonus content waiting to happen but uh, it's um you might find yourself in a situation where the it admins give you an r install so that's good but that's about it you don't have our studio you don't have anything like that you got the flash and prompt at your disposal and you just better make the best of it well if that resonates with you, or maybe the more appropriately, if you find yourself in that situation unwillingly, then our next high kind of brings us to the root of how important concepts and are that you can do anytime, like vectorization and functional programming can be achieved in this quote unquote vanilla install. And that's where cognitive neuroscientist, Anthanasia Monica Mowinkle, walks us through a common development process of creating code that loops through certain observations and performs derivations on particular columns of a data set. And starting with what many of us probably did when we first learned R, create your loops, create some variables in the global environment, what that can have some various pitfalls that can occur, especially when you start to troubleshoot things. And so that's where the post transitions to, hey, we got to take a functional approach to this. So that's where she starts building custom functions that will seem pretty familiar to some of the concepts we've been talking about through, frankly, the life cycle of this very podcast. Have yourself fit for purpose functions. You can reuse them in many different ways, and it's going to make your environment cleaner and make debugging a lot easier. And then, where can we fit those in? That's where Anthanasia gives us a tour of how the various apply functions that are built into your basic installation of R can work, going from the typical apply to S apply, M apply, which is her favorite. And honestly, you also get to see some of the little idiosyncrasies or somewhat different calls that you have to make with parameters as you transition from these. And while this wasn't necessarily the intent of her post, I also think that the blog post serves as another use case of why the highly acclaimed PER package exists. Because with PER, you do get a consistent API, if you will, of running these map reduce like functions with clear inputs and clear expectations of what the output should be. Now, again, in her use case, she may be dealing with a very limited system where PERS just simply isn't available. So you have to make the best of what you have. So it's important to to have that perspective, especially in these situations. But it's also showing you that yes, in base R you can accomplish all these things just gotta have a little more investment to learn how the functions work and get a hang of it, hopefully building some examples for your repertoire to have as reference. So again, maybe you don't find yourself in this situation routinely, but I have found myself in this from here and there when I got a custom VM set up to do some HPC work and for every reason, the IT group couldn't get me that fancy R installation with thousands of packages like in our default install. So I had to make the best of it while I waited for certain things to complete. So again, great illustration of the concepts, like I said, vectorization, functional programming can be hugely valuable no matter which environment you're in. So that was quite a reality check-like post, Mike. What did you think about Anastasia's post here?
1: One thing I really loved about Athanasia's blog post is the fact that she actually showcases some of the errors that she runs into in the console along the way, as she works through the problem from start to finish. And I think that this is so important. It's not something that we see in blog posts very often. But I think when you're trying to teach a new concept to Showcase those errors that you ran into uh, along the way instead of just saying, hey, here's the, the right way to do it, I think can really instruct people a lot better sometimes and can really be a better learning experience um, for folks who are trying to follow along with that blog post uh, sometimes because it, it really provides a, a vulnerable look into your thought process that most often will be similar to somebody else's thought process along the way. I always believe that it's it's great use of time to take a dive into Basar once in a while. I know the tidyverse is amazing. We know the tidyverse is amazing, but you might be surprised what utility there is in some BaseR functions if you do spend some time to just check out what there is in the BaseR installation. Um, there was a tweet recently that we'll link to in the show notes, and it was like, you know, what is your favorite? base R function I I can't remember who posted it out there Um, two of mine are the any and all functions from base R that allow you to provide um, a vector of different logicals to that uh, to each of those functions and if if one of them is true in the any function uh, then it'll return a true Uh, and if one of them is false in the all function it'll return a false. So it's very useful for checks in my, my shiny apps, particularly or whenever you're doing any sort of data engineering um, code where you're having to use some control flow, some if statements um the any and the all functions i find useful all the time i don't know eric do you have any favorite base r functions
0: oh yeah those are always in any app i make it's hard to avoid you know not benefiting from those those great uh, you know simple simple ways of invoking the conditional logic and one that i always have in my scripts is finding unique values of variables with unique the unique function is literally in every program I make because I'm always troubleshooting. Oh, wait, did I get that? All those treatment group levels, or did I get all those lab values? Or, you know, oh, geez, this data set has 5,000 observations. I don't want to just skim through that. Just give me the uniques, baby. And then that's what I get. So, unique is very valuable in my base R tool set. Unique and sort always oh, yes. in my,
1: <laughs> yes. always in those widgets. Yeah. in yeah. the choices for the widgets. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's, yeah.
0: that's a great call out. Yeah. There are tons of gems like that. Yeah. So I think set diff. Set diff. Oh yeah. Another huge one there too. I was just doing that recently to troubleshoot why I was not getting certain observations and a lab data for this FDA submission stuff I'm working on. So that being very quick to figure out Oh yeah, because I took it from that data set and I didn't have that record. Oh, okay. Now I got it. so yeah, lots of these things are are quite valuable in your tool set. Well, Mike, I couldn't have said it better myself. A lot of that base functionality is hugely important to have knowledge of. And the other part that I mentioned towards the outset was this idea of how R can really cleanly interop with other tools in the open source world. And that's where our last highlight in this supersized edition of R Week Highlights comes into play, because no R Weekly episode would be complete without a little visit to our data viz corner with a little API magic to boot. And so we marveled in the past on how R itself, or like I said, in combination with other open source visualization tools, you can make something that looks just as professional as coming from that fancy high-cost product like Adobe Illustrator, just as an example. And with his first post produced in that little engine called Quarto, the latest blog post from Abdul Issa Bida, who is a full-stack developer at Actualist, brings us a comprehensive guide to creating posters of current NBA player headshots for each team in the league, with both R and some great graphics software in the open-source world. Now first, ain't nobody got time to hard-code all those names, so the first step is to utilize the public-facing ESPN APIs to dynamically grab JSON representations of both the team and individual player metadata. That's a pretty clean win there. And fortunately he did some research to find where those APIs were, but you get some JSON out of that. So of course that means some wrangling, right? Data wrangling or JSON, who hasn't done that? If you dealt with APIs in the past, but um, Abdul has some really clean and concise code with explanations on how he wrangled that with the per package, there's another callback, to extract only the bits needed for his particular project here. And one of the major goals of this post was not just to do some wrangling there. It was also to look at how can we generate the actual poster? And surely you can do this something with ggplot too, I'm sure. And he even mentions that. But the goal of this was to figure out how can we hook into another tool that's available in the open source community to do it? And that's where he hooks into what I call the Swiss army knife of graphics processing called image magic. And in particular, image magic contains a handy function called montage that allows for a collection of image files to be concatenated together into one, well, montage. See, good names, right? The results look terrific, but like any experience of real world data, There can be a couple little edge cases here, such as dealing with long player names for certain teams and et cetera, figuring out how to deal with that to print cleanly. But when you look to the end of this post, it looks terrific, really polished visualization. And in the end, it's a fantastic walkthrough and illustration to show how open source can stand shoulder to shoulder with those proprietary behemoths in the visualization stack. So really cool use case of grabbing your data, massaging it a little bit, and then bringing that interoperability principle in mind with R to bring that novel visualization to fruition. So Mike, you're going to make any sports posters out of all this?
1: I think I'm going to have to. I mean, this is bringing me back to like my college dorm room days with some sports posters on the wall. I think I could instead of going out and buying one for 25 bucks, I think with a little R, a little image magic, some some bash work on the command line I think I could make one up myself here. these posters look absolutely incredible. Um, I feel like it's an opportunity to say in an end-to-end project it's never just blank so in this <laughs> in this case it was never never just R. we usually say it's never just shiny but uh, in this case it was never, just R with that image magic uh, command line tool. It, it's a phenomenal way to stitch these images together on a very fluid background that, that looks like, I don't know, all of these individuals were, were really standing together <laughs> against the same background. It's pretty incredible. And he, he shows, you know, not only the, the bash commands for that, but also how to Execute those bash commands using the system functionality in base R and to execute those commands using R. Love the Quarto blog. Uh, the callouts maybe are like my favorite thing in the, in the entire world. And he has a couple of really nice call-outs. I don't know, they just stand out so, so well um, in a blog post. They really make you stop and, and take time to read them. Um, so the fantastic post from top to bottom. I'm not sure if I was familiar with the R.JSON package. I've been familiar with the JSON Lite package. It looks like there's some overlapping functionality there, perhaps.
0: Yeah, I'm fairly sure R.JSON came before JSON Lite. So that was, um, and, and certainly many, many people have used that in the past too. So they both do a good job.
1: Yes, it absolutely looks like it. So And again, he's employing per to not only create one poster, but to create multiple posters over all 30 teams uh, in the NBA to have this one final massive graphic that fits right on this HTML page in your Quarto doc. So um, incredible read from top to bottom. I think it's another great example of sort of accomplishing an entire project within a blog post from start to finish. And I think if you're the type who learns really well from use case, project-based, learning um this would be a fantastic blog post for you to check
0: out well said yep and and another like i said great great example of how you can stitch a lot of these pipelines together and be able to create something really um aesthetically visually pleasing and not have to shell out a whole boatload of money to that other software not that i don't have opinions about that but i I digress (laughs) i digress but um what yeah. we what we can all agree on is that this is a fantastic issue. And as I mentioned, we were off last week. So for my additional, you know, little find here, I'm going to give a call back to last week's issue and in particular, an amazing blog post from another, um, you know, regular contributor to our Weekly, Shannon Palighi, who posted basically a narrative of her in-depth conversation with... Posits own Jenny Bryan, um, affectionately titled "Yak Shaving." Um, you're gonna have to read the post to figure out why it's called Yak Shaving. But at a high level, this is talking about Jenny's um, guide or Jenny's principles, how she approaches learning a new technical paradigm, a new technical idea, and just the the practical side of how she go about it. Um, that's a really entertaining read and also quite insightful, especially. As I think about what's on my docket next year to learn every new skill or a new technology or a new way to orchestrate things together, I'm definitely going to take some lessons learned from from Shannon's post here. So, uh, Mike, what did you want to call out today? Sure.
1: No, that's a great pull up from last week's highlight. I found one in this week's highlight, which is Julia Silge's post. I thought it was pretty topical today on how to delete all of your tweets programmatically, (laughs) programmatically in R in the R tweet package. Uh, She does have a link to how to download your Twitter archive first, which is a great first step. So do not miss that first paragraph. Otherwise (laughs) uh, you will not have any of your tweets anymore. But if you feel like uh, you you want to go through the process of, of downloading your Twitter archive and then getting rid of your, your tweets, um, as well as your, your account, I think you can follow along
0: with Julia's post to do that. Excellent find. And I think a lot of people are going to be taking advantage of this and <laughs> not to this in the future, maybe myself included. I'm not sure if I'll delete everything, but at the minimum, having a backup never, ever hurts for sure.
1: Absolutely. And it looks like Julia's been hard at work because it looked like there were a few tidy models real ecosystem packages that had brand new uh, releases this week as well, or, or very recently as well, including Parsnip um, and a couple others that I had seen.
0: Yeah, that, that world never stops spinning, right? Tidy Models is an exciting place to watch and I'm always always eager to see uh, Julia's blog posts and as well as her screencasts, which are always entertaining as well. And I wanna thank Julia on behalf of the recent endeavor I was embarking on the Our Pharma Conference where Julia was a panelist on you know, lessons and ideas for women developing careers in life sciences and the analytics space. So she did a great job with that. So thank you, Julia, at least you hear an audio form here. And yeah, so that's, we're about to wrap up episode 100, but I wanna make an announcement here that I'm really excited to share with all of you about the future direction of the show. What's not changing? Us come, me and Mike coming on here and bantering about our praise of the highlights and the, our community in general, you're always going to get that. But I'm happy to announce a way to make it even easier for you, the listener, to share a little bit back with us, as they say, or a concept that I've been reading about quite a bit and I'm fully invested in called value for value. What this really means is that if you get any use out of this podcast, however big or small, we're going to make it super easy for you to share your value back with us. Is it a set amount? No, this is what you choose. And the easiest way to get started with this is to grab yourself a new podcast app. And I have a URL just for you to find it, newpodcastapps.com. That'll be linked in the show notes. And there'll be a handy little button in many of these apps that you could download, whether it's iOS, Android, the web, or both. In particular, I like the ones called Fountain, Podverse, Cast-O-Matic, those are just the name a few, where you can send us what's called a boost to give us a little encouragement perhaps in, in our um, endeavors here. And so I won't say too much more about it. I want to encourage all of you to do your research and read up on this if you're really interested. But I do want to mention that I would not be putting my voice or my, my support for this if I didn't really believe in it and if you've ever listened to many of my podcasts in the past whether it's our weekly highlights or the old art podcast which i hope to resurrect again someday i have never taken sponsors ever because i wanted to just be driven by the community for the community and this endeavor of value for value actually has some great synergies what we just talked about at the top with the mastodon um, situation a decentralized way for you to give value back to us and us to share value with you. So again, have a look at newpodcastapps.com and certainly reach out to me if you'd like more details on how this works. But I wanna thank some good friends in the community that might be listening to this. Adam Curry, who actually is the originator of podcasts itself, has educated me on this as well as my friends at Jupiter Broadcasting have been using this principle quite a bit in their endeavors. So again, check that out and just have a look and let me know what you think. So with that, how can you reach us? Well, as I mentioned at the outset, R Weekly itself has a brand new Mastodon account. We are at rweekly at fostodon.org. We'll have a link to that in the notes. And also you can find me. I am still on Twitter, as they say, with at the Rcast, but I am also on Mastodon at our podcast, at podcastindex.social. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. But uh, Mike, where can people find you? I will be on Mastodon today, I
1: promise. But I do not know my handle yet, address, or whatever it's called. Um, so for now, I'm I'm, I'm hanging on, on on Twitter, but uh, at Mike underscore Ketchbrook, K-E-T-C-H-B-R-O-O-K. And we'll hope to have some, similar variation to that in in my mastodon handle um and eric i think i speak for the the whole community where where we certainly do not doubt and very much appreciate all of the effort you have put in to make this content fully community driven so thank you very much for your efforts and i think we're excited about what the future holds and uh this episode is is brought to you by MongoDB. Uh, do you want to store your structured data in an unstructured way for, for no reason at all, just to bring it back structured into a data frame later? MongoDB, it, it's perfect.
0: Well, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> we've got a new direction, don't we? <laughs> oh, that wasn't quite in the value for value script, but we'll, we'll let it aside. We'll let it aside for now. But um, it, is an, it is an exciting adventure that we're about to embark in the next batch of episodes. Who knows how long this train will last, but... We're excited to have you all along the journey to join us for this. So with that, we're going to close up shop on episode 100. Again, thank you to everybody around the world who's been listening to all the previous episodes when I was foaming my way through the very beginning and then right at the ship when Mike came along to join me for the ride. So we will see you again in a week. Until then, that's the end of episode 100 of our weekly highlights. And again, we'll be back here next week.